it my turn, Randy? It's your turn. I certainly don't want you preaching. I've been waiting my turn patiently. Not really. Well, I'm glad that you're all here this morning, and I'm glad that we're having two services. It feels a little safer to have uh, more space than we had last Sunday, for sure. Uh, and the, the early service today still had a decent-sized crowd, and so if you all had been there and they had been there, I don't think uh, we would have felt good or I wouldn't have felt good about it at all. So I'm glad we're doing these two services, and also it gives me a second chance to do better, because I did not like my sermon last uh last hour. So thank you for showing up. <laughs> not that you showed up to give me a second chance. I understand that's not how it goes. But, uh, you know, uh, some people have the spiritual gift of criticism, John, but I don't think you're one of them. So, <laughs> We're going to, uh, yeah, that's right, spiritual gift of sarcasm. I'm going to be in John chapter one this morning. Uh, we're gonna. It's the second week of a two-part little sermon series that we put together about sharing our faith and being invitational. So, not sharing our faith in like the old school evangelical, like knocking on doors, talking to people in the grocery line, across the gas pumps, like not that type of being invitational. Invitational, as in sharing the experiences we have had with other people who are around us in a way that invites them into our lives so that they might experience some of what we have experienced. So uh, a lot of times when people hear about sharing their faith, it's like, turn it off, I'm not paying attention, because that's crazy talk, you know. But I also think that sometimes maybe we ought to leave it on even in those instances, because sometimes I think our faith is like acne is to teenagers. We've got it, but we don't want to let everybody know, you know what I mean? So John chapter 1, starting with verse 35, says this. The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. Now, that's John the Baptist. So, John the Baptist was a rabbi. A good rabbi would have disciples. And so, John the Baptist was standing there with a couple of his disciples. And he was standing there when he saw Jesus walking along. And he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He replied, Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, Follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, Can anything good come from El Paso? I mean, Nazareth. (laughs) 
as Philip said, come and see. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There are several things. I want this to be pretty practical this morning, and there are several lessons that I feel like I have learned from reading this passage of Scripture that I would like to share with you all this morning. The first thing is that when we share our faith, it's about our experiences. It's not about other people's experiences. It's not about some sort of head knowledge. It's not about having all of the answers from the Bible and the correct theology all lined up in an order. And we go and we, we're all prepared to sit and talk and share with someone and try to convince them that we're right and that they ought to listen to us. It's not about that at all. Sharing our faith is about sharing our experiences that we have had that we would say are divine experiences, experiences of God. And we see that first off with John. John knew Jesus. They were cousins. And he probably had been telling his disciples about his cousin Jesus. And they're standing around talking, and here comes Jesus. And, uh, and John points him out. And so Jesus, John's disciples become curious about Jesus, and they start to follow him. And Jesus is creeped out probably, like, why are these guys following? And so he asks them. And they start building a relationship together. And it starts because I believe John was telling his stories. And you all have stories to tell. Back in the old days, when people still went to offices for work, one of the first things that would happen on Monday mornings, it even happens around here on Monday mornings, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went to so-and-so's house, we had dinner, I watched the ball game, I did this thing, I did that thing. And the easiest, easiest way for us to share that we have some sort of faith is to say, Sunday morning I went to church and I saw some of my friends there. I don't think people would be surprised that any of you in this room go to church. I hope. I hope they're not like, whoa, Pat Kira goes to church? So it's about the relationships. And we all have stories. When I was in seminary, it's 2008, the day before Christmas Eve, Michelle and the girls and I were in my truck. We were driving from Denver to Carlsbad to spend time with our families for Christmas. We had about, I had about four or five days off from the construction job that I was working I'd gotten off early, and I went home, and Michelle had everything packed, and we loaded up real quick and jumped in the truck and took off. We stopped in Colorado Springs to grab some food to eat, and we were on the road. And we got through Pueblo, and between Pueblo and Trinidad is this little bitty town called Walsenburg. About 10 miles north of Walsenburg, we hit some black ice and spun around, and we're facing oncoming traffic, sliding toward the shoulder of the road. And I looked out the window. You know how it all everything slows down when you're in a car accident. I looked out the window, and I could see tall, thick grass that was going to like absolutely stop our momentum and cause us to roll. And so I said out loud, oh, God, please protect us. And I looked at Michelle, and I said, here we go. And the next thing I know, we were upright. I don't remember actually rolling. I remember the noise of it. 
We were sitting upright. The truck landed upright. Christmas presents were everywhere. I had, I had homebrewed some hard cider. Those jugs threw out, flew out of the back of the truck and busted, and so it smelled like I was a drunk driver. I was not. And I get out, and I ran around to the truck, and I thought, if I'm, if I'm hurt, my adrenaline's going to keep me going, at least until I can check on everybody. Michelle said she was fine. I opened the doors. I grabbed Emery. She was 11 months old. She was fine. Elise looked at me, and she said, Dad, what the heck happened? And so everybody seemed to be okay. A young couple stopped who saw the accident, and Michelle and the girls got in their car. It was freezing cold, and everybody was scared, and so they got in their car, and the husband and I started gathering up some of the Christmas presents that had scattered everywhere, and a police officer shows up. And so the young couple goes on, and we get in the police car, and we're waiting for an ambulance and a tow truck. The ambulance just needed, was that, oh no, that's on me. The ambulance needed to uh, just check everybody out. Well, Colorado is an at-fault state. So if you get in a car accident, somebody's getting a ticket. Unless an animal is, if, unless you can prove an animal caused it or it's a two-person accident, you're getting a ticket. So I got her citation. Michelle takes it, puts it in her purse. Two months later, she's cleaning out her purse and finds the citation. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be fun. So I call Huerfano County Courthouse, and I say, here's my citation number. I need to know what I need to do about this. And they said, we have no record of the citation. Who's the, who's the citing officer? So I give them his name. We have no record of that officer. What do I do? Call the state police office. So I call the state police office, same thing. No record of the citation, no record of that officer having ever worked for us. What do I do? Don't tell anybody and throw the ticket away. I have no idea who that person was. I don't know if it was an imposter who was driving around in a stolen police car pretending to help people. I don't know if it was an angel. I don't know what happened. But what I do know is that the young couple who stopped and that police officer and the people in the ambulance and the tow truck driver who took us to Walsenburg, the Anchor Motel, don't stay there, but it was awesome that night. I do know that all of those people somehow re reflected to me that God was with us. In the midst of the scariness and the chaos of all of that, that God was with us. And two months later, it was another reminder, because I didn't even have to pay the citation, that God was with me. It's that easy. You all may or may not have stories that are more dramatic or less dramatic than that. Well, you may have less dramatic or more dramatic. But you have stories. You have times in your life where you know for sure that you have experienced the presence of God. And to share our faith is just to share those stories. And the purpose behind it is not to proselytize and try to convince somebody that they ought to believe the way that you believe. But the sharing of our faith increases our faith. And the sharing of our faith gives an opportunity for somebody else to potentially experience God through our own experiences. So the first thing that I see happening is that John the Baptist is sharing his faith and pointing out what he is seeing all around him. 
Growing up in Carlsbad, we oftentimes would go to the Carlsbad Caverns, not as often as you would think, on field trips, but two or three times while I was in elementary school, we would go to the caverns for a field trip, and then when I was in middle school, we went to some crazy off-the-beaten-path caves one time. But there's always somebody with us who worked at the caverns who would point things out. Tour guides. Interpretive guides is what they're called. And you would walk along the path, and they would have stories to tell that they told every single group that came through. But every once in a while, they would say something along the lines of, hey, right here behind this stalagmite is a light switch. And it's really fun to come in here. This is a true story. Really fun to be the first person into the cave in the mornings and run up ahead into the darkness and wait for the person coming through, turning on all the light switches because it lights the path behind you, not in front of you. And you can jump out and scare them. Our job is to be those interpretive guides. Not jumping out scaring people but to be the ones pointing out the little nuances all around us that we notice and showing them to people as they experience God with us. The second thing is that I love, I love Philip and Nathaniel's interaction. And it's always fun, wherever you live, if you're reading this story out loud, you can say, El Paso, I mean Nazareth, or Artesia, I mean Nazareth, or you know, you can name off whatever town the other town doesn't like, and it gets a good laugh, and it's a cheesy preacher joke. But there's some truth to this idea that that he, Philip, I mean Nathaniel, was being a skeptic. He's like, of all places, for something truly good to come from Nazareth, of all places, there's no way. And Philip, instead of arguing with him, which, by the way, I love skeptics. They're my favorite people to talk to because I'm pretty skeptical and cynical myself. Philip, instead of arguing and trying to say, no, I promise you, and giving all kinds of examples, simply says, come and see. There was a survey that came out and a study that was done just over a year ago It said 8 out of 10 people who do not go to church would go if they were invited. People are curious right now, and I think especially right now, about spiritual things. Think about that. 8 out of 10 people who do not go to church would be willing to go if they were invited by somebody they trust. We don't have to argue people into joining us at church. And I promise, you know people, and I know a lot of people, who it seems as though they're never going to go to church anywhere ever because of harm that has been done to them or to people they know in the name of Jesus. Harm based on their orientation, harm based on their gender, harm based on their race, harm based on socioeconomics, all sorts of things. But the other thing I know is that they will not experience that here. This place and us together is one of the kindest churches that I have ever encountered in my life. One of the most genuinely welcoming places that I have ever encountered in my life. 
And so when I come across friends of mine who are just kind of like, yeah, well, I just say, you, you should just come and see. Here's the other thing I know. You all are really good at this. And the reason I know it is because I have folders within my inbox and I have notes stacked on a shelf in my office that some of you send, but oftentimes it's some of your friends send. I've been getting notes and emails from people who live all around right now that are watching online because you invite them to watch. And they'll send me a note, we're moving to Las Cruces, so-and-so invited us to watch your service, I can't wait to get there. I don't live in Las Cruces and I never will, but so-and-so told me about the church and I just want to tell you, the baptisms last Sunday were amazing. You all are really good at it. And right now, especially for those of you watching online, it's the easiest thing ever to invite people to church. Just hit share. And share the video, and you have now invited however many hundred people you're quote-unquote friends with on social media to church. So sisters and brothers, I'm not, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want to be that preacher that's like, well, if everybody would invite one person, we'd have 100% more people here next week. That's not what it's about. I know that your faith has increased mine. And I hope that mine has increased yours. But the biggest thing is ours can increase theirs if we just share our stories. So this week, I would encourage you to think of one story. One time that you encountered something that is unexplainable to you. And share it with someone. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to post it on social media. You don't have to tell me that you did. None of that sort of thing. But just share it with someone. Find a way to share it. And don't manipulate a conversation. Just be open and sensitive to the way a conversation is going. And oftentimes it comes across, you'll be talking to somebody who's struggling and you can share a struggle of yours and how your faith helped you through it. And we do all of it in the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer.